Have you ever caught yourself breathing too quick, too shallow, or even holding your breath when under pressure? And have you ever wished there was a switch you could flick to stop yourself feeling acutely stressed and anxious in the heat of the moment? In this episode, I'm chatting with executive and leadership coach Richard Jameson, who uses breathing techniques with his clients to help them out of their stress zones and into their rest and digest parasympathetic zone, where they can make better decisions, feel calmer and be more productive. We chat about the rapidly accumulating scientific evidence for using our breathing in situations such as this, something which is accessible for us all to help us manage ourselves and feel better. The way we breathe affects us in all sorts of ways and there are some surprising physiological benefits from breathing slower and paying attention. So this episode is for you if you're interested in how breathing techniques can reduce stress and increase your health and well-being. If you've ever wondered what breathwork was really about and what the fuss was all about. And if you want to learn some quick and easy techniques to focus on and control your breath to beat stress in everyday situations. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, life hacks for doctors and busy professionals who want to beat burnout and work happier. I'm Dr. Rachel Morris. I'm a GP, turned coach, speaker and specialist in teaching resilience. And I'm interested in how we can wake up and be excited about going to work no matter what. I've had 20 years experience of working in the NHS, both on the front line and teaching leadership and resilience. I know what it's like to feel overwhelmed, worried about making a mistake and one crisis away from not coping. 2021 promises to be a particularly challenging year. Even before the coronavirus crisis, we were facing unprecedented levels of burnout. We have been compared to frogs in a pan of slowly boiling water, working harder and longer. And the heat has been turned up so slowly that we hardly notice the extra long days becoming the norm and have got used to the low-grade feelings of stress and exhaustion. Let's face it, frogs generally only have two choices. Stay in the pan and be boiled alive, or jump out of the pan and leave. But you are not a frog, and that's where this podcast comes in. You have many more options than you think you do. It is possible to be master of your own destiny, and to craft your work and life so that you can thrive, even in the most difficult of circumstances. Through training as an executive and team coach, I discovered some hugely helpful resilience and productivity tools that transformed the way I approached my work. I've been teaching these principles over the last few years as the Shapes Toolkit programme, because if you're happier at work, you'll simply do a better job. In this podcast, I'll be inviting you inside the minds of friends, colleagues and experts, all who have an interesting take on this, so that together we can take back control to thrive, not just survive in our work and our lives and love what we do again. Are you constantly stressed and thinking about work? Does your laptop come with you on holiday? Your to-do list have permanent residence in your brain and your worry about how to handle the latest crisis wake you up in the small hours. Then it's time to get your life back and that's exactly what our brand new online course will help you do. It's a 60-minute reset for healthcare professionals to shift your mindset so you can set boundaries and limits around your work without the endless guilt that you've not done enough. 
It's just £27 and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com slash get your life back. It's really great to have with me today on the podcast, Richard Jameson. Now, Richard is an executive and a life coach and coaches around leadership who works in South Africa. And uh, I wanted to get him on the podcast today as he's got some really useful things to share with us about particular techniques he uses in his work. So welcome, Richard. Great. Thank you, Rachel. Yeah, thanks for having me on the podcast. Now, you're sat in South Africa and it's beautifully sunny where you are. <laughs> and I'm yeah. sat... I'm sat here, it's blowing a gale, it's pouring with rain, and it's about one degree C. Sorry about that. Yeah, it's uh, it's probably about 25, 26 degrees C here, and it is a beautiful day. Um, yeah, um, beautiful sun shining outside and swimming pool and the rest of it. So I'm, I apologize for all of that. Please don't hate me for that. <laughs> I don't, I don't hate you. But Richard, I, I wanted to get you on the podcast just to share some of your thoughts about something I've been thinking a lot about recently since mm. I heard somebody talking on the Rangan Chatterjee podcast. I think it was Richard Nestor, the journalist who's written a book called, called Breath, which was really interesting to me because mm. obviously the You Are Not A Frog podcast is all about life hacks, which will help people you know, beat stress and burnout and live and work happier. And mm. I've been hearing for a long time about the power of breathing and the fact that we need to just access our breath and sound and and feel grounded by your breath and all this sort of stuff. Mm. And I must admit to in the past having felt that, well, you know, it's all very well and good, but, you know, breathing is what we do. So how can that actually make too much of a difference? But having listened to the podcast and hearing what James Nestor was saying, really looking into the power of breathing, I've suddenly thought, oh, hang on a sec. (laughs) Maybe mm. there's something in it. Something well, to this, yeah. Maybe, maybe there is. So can you just tell us a little bit about how you first discovered the whole thing around breathwork and why we do need to, in fact, pay more attention to it than we maybe yeah. previously have? Absolutely. I mean, I think some of the context from my side, so having been working in the fields of leadership development and coaching for about 13 or 14 years now and trying to find... Um, ways to help people cope with stress better, which I know is a big part of of what you talk about on the podcast, Um, certainly is one of the things that we would help leaders do. Um, uh, Mindfulness and meditation was a big go-to for me and something I've done myself uh, for the last 15 years. But it's not always accessible to people um, for a variety of reasons. So, you know, it seems for some people they love it and they they get into it and they, they go with it but others not. And one of the ways that um, breathwork is described is meditation for people who can't meditate. So it's it's another way of non-invasively, non-chemically shifting the, the state of anxiety or the level of stress that's in our nervous system with any number of quite simple techniques. So one doesn't have to remove oneself from a meeting or the office or wherever wherever you are and go and sit cross-legged somewhere for for half an hour. You know, the breath is always there. It's always accessible. And so it's kind of both always can be an indicator for us of where we're at. So how agitated am I really, you know, if I key into that. And then a way to regulate our state at the same time. So it's quite quick, quite accessible um, compared to something like meditation. Yeah, and it seems to really make a difference. What actually 
happens to us neurophysiologically when we do mm. take control of our breathing and our breath? Yeah, so I, I mean, it's a, it's a, and, and you're the doctor, I, I'm the engineer, but I'm going to do my best on the, the neurophysiology of this. So um, breath is fascinating because it's, it's under involuntary control most of the time, but then voluntary control pretty much, uh, you know, at the, at the slightest inkling that we want to control our breath, we can take it over. So it sits in this um, in-between space between the, the involuntary functions like our heart rate, and how we're digesting things and our blood pressure and, and all the rest of that, and then the more voluntary functions like what I'm doing with my hands and my face and the rest of it. And, and so what we can do when we take control of our breath and start breathing differently is that we can shift the state of agitation in our nervous system. So the autonomic nervous system, which controls all of those automatic functions that we were talking about, has two branches to it. There's the parasympathetic and the sympathetic branches. And basically, they're inversely correlated to one another. So to the degree that I'm sympathetically uh, activated, I will be less parasympathetically activated. The, the sympathetic um, branch of the nervous system, see a physical branch of, of nerves running through the body, is what we would associate with a fight or flight response. So when something happens that um, triggers in me a, a sense of threat, um, you know, if I... Uh, put my hand on a hot stove, or if I hear a cry for help, or if I see something that looks, um, you know, potentially dangerous, my sympathetic nervous system starts to activate more than the parasympathetic, and my body prepares for some kind of fight or flight response. So it releases adrenaline and cortisol in my body, uh, and, and a variety of other things, sends more blood to the large muscle groups and away from the prefrontal cortex, and I'm basically ready to fight something or to run very fast. When we go the other way, so when we move into the parasympathetic nervous system, that's what we call the rest and digest, or some people call it the feed and breed system. So that's when we are in a more relaxed state. There's no pressing emergency outside of us, and our body can carry on with all of the functions that are so important to keep us healthy. So growing new cells, our immune system is more activated, um, you know, our food is digesting, all of these good things that keep our body in a, in a good homeostasis. Now, the way that the human body was designed was to be in a balanced state most of the time between those two. And this wonderful machinery of the sympathetic nervous system and the fight or flight response was really meant to be there for these extreme situations that we'd meet every now and then. Unfortunately, in our modern world, what's happened is that that sympathetic nervous system is activating a lot more often than is probably good for us in the long term. So emails popping in, work stresses, COVID, knowledge about what's happening on the other side of the world that may be stressful, um, the pace of life, uh, you know, just some of the, the stresses and difficulties of life mean that's activating a lot. And so if we look at the balance, we are slightly out of balance in that sense. We are more sympathetic dominant than is good for us. Now, that balance between sympathetic and nervous and, and parasympathetic is linked to the breathing in a in a very uh, tightly coupled way, and that's why by observing our breathing, it's almost like we can get a direct reading on where we are, how sympathetic dominant, how parasympathetic. Sympathetic dominant, you're going to see rapid, shallow breathing. Okay? 
and in some cases even cessation of breathing. So when we stop breathing in an emergency. And in parasympathetic nervous system dominant, we would see calmer, steadier, slower breathing. Not necessarily deeper, slower and steadier breathing. So that's how it can be an indicator for us of where our nervous system is. But it's not just an indicator. If we take control of our breath, which we can do, we can start to send the message back to our nervous system that actually there is no emergency. So the nervous system is, is also watching the breath and it says, okay, well, if you're breathing slowly and steadily, then I'm going to assume that things are actually okay and we're going to call off the emergency and stop releasing adrenaline and cortisol into the body and all of the other markers of, of the fight or flight response uh, and the stress response in the body will decrease. Is that? Uh, let me stop there because that's that's quite a lot. But does that make sense? Or that makes that makes total sense, total sense. And I think particularly at the moment in COVID times, we are all living in this high adrenaline state. I think whether it just be anxiety and worry about about the pandemic and our own physical well-being that of our our friends and our families, or whether it's just work overload because you know mm. in the UK the doctors are trying to vaccinate most of the country you know we're all homeschooling yeah. at the moment it's just the pressure it, it is immense and mm. and that's just that feeling of pressure am I going to get everything done and is it all going to be okay puts us into that that sympathetic state and I certainly over the last few days have felt this is a low grade sort of <laughs> sympathetic a- activation and I guess that does show up, up in the breath So, mm. yeah, and I, I think it's interesting that you you say low grade there. Um, sorry, just to to mention that, I think we know some of this stuff. It's such basic common sense, right? If you really do get a big shock, someone will tell you take a yeah. deep breath. You know, yeah. take ten uh, deep breaths, calm down. And I think, yeah, that part we know. You suddenly your body goes into that. I think it's the in between that we're now exploring yeah. more. So it's this low grade kind. Of like ongoing stress that we're not as aware of. We might not even notice that our breath has just normalized into a pattern of being too shallow or too rapid. It's just become completely normal to us in background. And it's only when we start tuning in and noticing the breath again, perhaps timing it, perhaps you know, observing where in the body the breath is going, how deeply it's going in, that we start to see, hang on, you know, I must, I must be quite stressed because my breathing is in this, in this pattern. Yeah, I think certainly I remember a few weeks ago, I sat on the sofa doing a bit of work and my husband said to me, Rachel, your breathing is really weird. I was holding my breath and then and then, and then holding it again. And, and I think the problem is a lot of us have just got used to that feeling being mm. normal. Mm. Mm. But it's, it's not normal, is it? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that first step then is is awareness. So, you know, with a lot of breathing practices, the first place that we'll start is just become aware of what your breathing is doing right now. So before we even start to, to change it, um, you know, and, and as you're sitting here with me and as, as people are listening, you can just start to observe the in-breath, the out-breath. And usually one of the first things you notice is that it's actually difficult not to change the breathing or for the breathing almost changes on its own as we start to observe it. So, you know, it's going automatically in the background and then I bring it into awareness and often immediately that starts slowing down 
Okay. Even noticing a pause between the inhale and the exhale. And then starting to notice not just the breath itself, but where the breath is going. So am I breathing through my nostrils? Am I breathing through my mouth? What are the micro movements that are happening in my chest, stomach? Is my diaphragm moving? Are my shoulders moving? And from there, I, one of my teachers has this lovely phrase about getting as curious about the breath as you would be about a new lover. So what are the minute details you can notice about the breath? So what is the temperature of the air coming in? What is the temperature of the air as it goes out? What is the smoothness of the breath? Or is it catching at certain points along the way as you breathe in or breathe out? What is the feeling of expansion and contraction in the chest? And then always to kind of notice what does it feel like after just a minute of observing the breath in this way? Do I feel calmer? Do I feel more agitated? Because short term, it might actually, for some people who have been in a, in a um, shallow breathing pattern, might initially feel more stressful to become aware of the breath and for it to start to change. There's an initial sense of discomfort because it's so unfamiliar. So are we looking to make a long-term change to our breathing pattern or are we looking to catch ourselves when we're breathing fast and we're we're stressed in order to bring us back from sympathetic into parasympathetic or a bit Mm. of both? I think a bit of both, yeah. I mean, as as I said right at the start, the lovely thing about the breath is it's always there, right? It's always there. We're breathing all the time. So at any moment that you catch yourself through the day, that can be an opportunity to notice um, oh, hang on. Okay. You know, I've stopped breathing. I'm holding my breath. I'm breathing quite fast, whatever the case might be. And then to return to a different pattern of breathing. Uh, um, James Nestor in his book talks about at the end, you know, out of all of the strange and wonderful experiments that he does, he comes back to this point of the ideal breath is about five and a half seconds on the inhale, five and a half seconds on the exhale. And um, not too deep, slow, steady breathing to bring in this kind of coherent breathing technique. So at any point, one can bring that in. And then at the same time, one can do, you know, depending on the time you have and how you want to apply this, one can put aside 5, 10, 20 minutes a day to do a practice that brings your breathing back into a more balanced state, which then has knock-on effects through the rest of the day. So that's fascinating, isn't it? There is some really good evidence for this whole slowing down of your of your breath. Because most of us, I mean, we're in medical, um, you know, in medical textbooks, we're quoted about twelve breaths a minute is the the normal respiratory rate, maybe slightly slightly more. But actually, mm-hmm. if you're talking about five and a half seconds on the in breath, five and a half on the out breath, that's like ten or eleven seconds for a breath. So that's a, a breathing mm-hmm. rate of five or six a minute. Yeah, yeah. So what's yeah, the evidence and- for that? Well, I, the, so I've, I've been trying to do some of my own research on this, and it, it gets um, it gets into areas of physiology that are, are a bit too complex for me. I, I want to understand um, the slowing down. It, I, at, a, at a high level, I know it has to do with balancing out the autonomic nervous system or regulating the autonomic nervous system. So it's somehow about getting uh, that sympathetic and parasympathetic balance back. 
One of the ways that that's measured is through something called heart rate variability, which is also, um, yeah, is, is quite fascinating on its own. So we, most of us are familiar with heart rate. So we know our heart's probably beating, you know, at rest somewhere between 60 and 80 beats per minute. And, and that's an average, right, over a minute. But what's happening as we inhale and exhale is that our rate, our, our heart rate is increasing as we breathe in and then decreasing as we breathe out, increasing, decreasing. So it's hovering around that average of 60 or 70 or whatever it might be. It's dipping down to 55 and then up to 65 and coming back. And what we are looking at when we look at heart rate variability, and this is, has been called one of the best non-invasive measures of stress, is what, how high or low is that amount of variability? And almost counterintuitively, we want a decent amount of variability in our heart rate. Because what that means is that our heart is responsive. Our body is still responsive to what's happening um, in the external environment. When our heart rate variability is very low, it means your, um, your heart is not responsive. So that almost the rigidity that's crept into your system um, because of accumulated stress over time. So heart rate variability we know goes up when we start doing this coherent breathing, when we start breath slowing our breathing down to the rate that you spoke about. And, it, and I think it's also important to say that as you start to notice your breathing and want to slow it down is that it's best to do that in quite a gradual way. So as you said, if we're at 11 or 12 breaths a minute, we're at about two or three seconds on the inhale and the same on the exhale. So one can start to count and then slowly start to increase. So I increase from two to three seconds, from three to four seconds, you know, spend a bit of time there from four to five seconds till I get comfortable to move into breathing at five or six seconds uh, on the inhale and exhale. Mm. I think bo box breathing is quite a good way of doing that, mm. isn't it? So, you know, maybe count to three on inhale, hold it for three, exhale on three, hold it for three, and you're sort of breathing round a box. So definitely slowing mm. down breathing. And in, in James Nestor's book, he talks about all these athletes that were, were you know, the Olympic athletes won gold medals. That, that The reason they had the edge over their peers was because they were trained to slow their breathing down. Mm. And it, it, it's yeah. fascinating. He, he talks about um, the fact that actually high, higher levels of carbon dioxide are actually really good for us, mm. which was really surprising to me. So I thought, yeah. you know, carbon dioxide, bad. But actually, yeah. there's, we actually, dis our cells, uh, the hemoglobin dissociates from our sorry, the oxygen dissociates from the hemoglobin better if the carbon dioxide is a bit higher. But we're very poorly tolerant to that, aren't we? Yeah, if, if the level is right. I mean, his book, his book is fascinating. And for people who haven't read it yet, he does all these crazy experiments. He actually does them on himself. So he's describing firsthand how they feel. And I don't know if you remember that jog that he goes for where he's been told that he, he can, I think, only breathe through his nose and only very slowly. And it feels absolutely awful until about half an hour in when he when it, it suddenly starts feeling good um so some of these things do seem quite counterintuitive and don't feel good initially um yeah the the, the carbon dioxide one is an interesting one I, you know and i think what it goes to is that this is not just a case of more is better we're not just trying to force more oxygen into our system um what we're trying to do is return to, you know, equilibrium, 
would be um, you know, equilibrium or homeostasis of we've got the right level of carbon dioxide, the right level of oxygen. And our body sort of does know how to do that. So, you know, this is not a case of forcing too much. But as we were saying a few moments ago, we've, we've, we've unfortunately become locked into some chronic stress patterns, um, which have taken us away from that balance. So, so we're going to kind of tipping the scale the other way. Um, just one further thought on the carbon dioxide. So a fascinating thing to do. Um, so I, I surf uh, in South Africa when, when lockdown allows me to. And so I went for a course on breath holding, um, but breath holding under sort of under duress, like as you get knocked off a wave, been doing vigorous activity, now you have to hold your breath. And the difficulty in breath holding has got very little to do with oxygen deprivation and everything to do with CO2 levels in the blood. So our system, our whole system is so keyed into that CO2 level. And as soon as it starts ticking up in the blood, all these signals go to the brain saying, breathe now, breathe now. Um, and actually, you know, that level is ticking up far faster than the oxygen deprivation. So we've got quite a lot of um, time still before any sort of oxygen deprivation kicks in or blackout or damage to the brain. But our CO2 level is, is ticking up and that's sending the signal strongly that we should breathe. So part of what the breath holding training is, is can I tolerate that CO2 level uptick and all of the, the signals that come along with it just for a little bit longer. I get it. You'll push for time. And with over 200 episodes, how do you know which is going to be the one that lifts you out of the saucepan and back to thriving at work? Never fear, the You Are Not A Frog podcast quiz is here. Find out if you're a super squirrel, brilliant badger or mighty mole and I'll send you a personalised playlist with the top five episodes that will make the biggest difference to you. Discover your top of the hops, top five episodes, sorry, and leap into your happiest thriving self again. Just go to youarenotafrog.com slash quiz. Because that's how free divers do it, isn't it? Mm. And they, these yeah. guys can hold their breath for minutes, can't they? Yeah. It's yeah, crazy. I mean, it's yeah, it's it's fascinating the 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 training that you can do and the and how you can stretch the amount of time um, that you don't have to breathe for. And some of the I don't know if you remember in the book as well some of the fascinating studies of the different yogis that have come from the east and have had these amazing abilities to. Um, yeah, slow their own heart rate down, speed it up again at will, um, and and you know go without breath for an extraordinary amount of time, or slowing their breathing right down. So it, yeah, it's possible to do all kinds of, of fascinating things. Yeah, and I I remember reading as well. What, what really interested me was they looked at people with with having panic attacks and obviously in panic attacks you're breathing fast you're over breathing you're flushing out your co2 which causes all sorts of symptoms and almost then creates a vicious a vicious circle of over breathing and etc cetera, etc cetera. but they monitored people and they found that you can detect if someone's going to have a panic attack about an hour earlier because sure. they start they start to overbreathe. They, they, their carbon dioxide starts to dip in their blood, um, the, the carbon dioxide levels. So mm. that was really fascinating. So carbon dioxide is is not our not our enemy, and actually mm. slowing and regulating our our breath will 
we'll break that vicious cycle. And I guess I guess I always say with with exercise, you've got this thing where if you um, you have this feedback loop between your muscles and your brain. If your muscles are all tense, they say to your brain, I'm really stressed. And your brain goes, yeah, you're stressed. Look at your tension. If you go and do some exercise because your muscles are relaxed, they go to the brain, oh, I'm all relaxed. And the brain goes, yeah, no, I'm I'm relaxed too. You've got this feedback loop. I guess yeah. that's the same with breathing, isn't it? If you're breathing mm-hmm. fast, your brain's going, yeah, you're stressed. But actually, yeah. if you then, rather than stop the stress, if you just change the breathing, slow the breathing down, then the brain goes, oh, no, you're probably not quite so stressed. So you can affect the loop at, at both levels, at the brain level or at the breathing level. Yeah, the, the vicious cycle can be turned into a virtuous cycle. Um, and, and I guess, you know, that does bring one back round to some form of mindfulness because some part of you has to recognize and intervene at some point. Um, you know, if you're too caught up in your day to, to kind of go, well, hang on, I need to take, I need to slow down, I need to slow down my breathing. Um, and so either, either one exercises mindfulness around that or you just use some, some props to help you with that. So a reminder on your phone um, randomly or, you know, every couple of hours, check in with your breathing, where's your breathing at? Um, I mean, the wearables are getting fascinating now. My my Apple Watch will tell me every now and then that I need to breathe. So, um, does, it you know, tell you think, your, does it tell you your heart rate variability as well? It's it, interesting question. So they're a little bit, apparently it can measure it, but there aren't too many apps that are taking advantage of it yet. So sometimes it is working in the background, apparently, of that Breathe app okay. that's on the, on the Apple Watch. But I, yeah, that research I did was three months ago, and I wouldn't be surprised if they've, somebody's released something um, since then. Yeah. I'm sure there will be, because I know Rangan Chatterjee does talk about heart rate variability in one of his, I think it's a stress solution, um, mm. which is really interesting. He's sort of done measurements on himself and and seen that as well. So it's just fascinating about how, you know, we, we're so used to thinking stress is a very mental thing, but actually it, it, it's such a physical thing. So mm. if someone was noticing, say you're sat in a meeting, you're feeling, you can feel your stress levels rising, you can feel that maybe you're breathing fast, what would you recommend that they do right mm. there and then in, in that meeting? Yeah. Or even so in front I, of a patient or in a difficult conversation that's making yeah. it more stressful. Well, it is, it is, again, such a nice thing because you don't have to do anything dramatic or, you know, strike a yoga pose or... Um, close your eyes and go into the lotus position. So, so sometimes what I'll use is the fingers on one hand, just to count off um, that inhale um, and extend it. So, yeah. if you're just going to, if you're noticing four, count to four, even And I, must just, that I must just say, this is fine. definitely a, an exercise for those of you watching on video as opposed to audio. Yeah. I, <laughs> We're I mean, showing our fingers at each other. <laughs> I'll give you I'll give you this. So so what you're doing is just the fingers are quite helpful. You know, they might be on your lap. They might be sitting on the table. And it's just a count. So one, two, three, four. Yeah. Exhale, two, three, four. Inhale. Three, I like that because you four. could literally be sitting there with with a, a patient or a client in front of you just doing that mm. to help you get back mm. into sort of homeostasis into, into parasympathetic. Yeah, bring that up to four, then bring it up to five. And then interestingly, you'll find your own sweet spot. So for some, and, and this is an interesting one. Apparently, the taller you are, so if you're over six foot, 
uh, a count of, of six or even seven can be useful. And, and even some people, even up to 10, but better to stay in that range of five to six is where most people sit. And, you know, so then you'll get the finger count going up to five or six and then five or six on the exhale. And with this one, as opposed to box breathing, where you have a hold either side, with the coherent breathing, there's no hold. So you go straight from the inhale into the exhale into the inhale. And that's not, you know, there's a huge variety of these techniques. So there's nothing against the box technique. Again, you know, that can be a four in, four hold, four out, four hold, and continuing to do that. Um, some of the, the neurophysiological stuff behind that is that the a major part of the parasympathetic nerve is, is called the vagus nerve. Um, and now, I didn't get very far with Latin, but apparently that means the wandering nerve. So it wanders down through your body and it actually goes through a lot of the major organs in the body. Uh, and it's both sending signals back to the brain and taking signals from the brain or from the central nervous system. And, and what part of what it does as it wanders down is it goes through the lungs and so when we are breathing in and out, the, the alveoli, the small sacs in the lung are expanding and contracting. And that expansion and contraction is sending signals directly from that vagus nerve back to the brain to tell you, yes, you're okay, you're not too stressed, or no, you're quite stressed. So the length of the inhale, the length of the hold, the le length of the exhale are all sending slightly different signals back and causing slightly different activations of the, the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. So that's a lot of complicated stuff. The simple thing to remember is to calm yourself down, longer exhale. Mm -hmm. So when you're feeling agitated, longer exhale than inhale. And if you want to activate, longer inhale than exhale. Ah, so yeah, if you want to get yourself well energized, ready to go, big inhale, less of an exhale. That's interesting. Yeah. I and mean, the, there's a lot of interest in the vagal nerve, isn't there? And mm. I know there's lots of uh, companies working out how to stimulate the vagal nerve to cure mm. things. Um, but actually, like you said, we can, and I heard another great podcast, and I can't remember the name of the, the chap on the podcast. It will come back to me in a second. He's really famous American neuroscience guru bloke. Ah, it will come back to me in a yeah. minute. But he was saying, you know, actually all these drug companies looking for vagal nerve ways of stimulating the vagal nerve and accessing it. And actually like the ancient yogis can do it through breathing. Mm, mm. Yeah. Breathing. And, and then, you know, Wim Hof comes into it because uh, cold, cold water as well, apparently on the back of your neck uh, and your upper back. So um, turning the, the, the shower to freezing cold in the morning and then back to hot as a way to also stimulate that nerve. Yeah, aha. Deepak Chopra. That's who I'm okay. thinking of. Okay. Yeah, re another good um, episode um, with Ranga on the Rangan Chatterjee yeah. podcast. Uh, Feel better, live more. So I'd recommend that. So we talked yeah. about quite a lot of stuff about about the breath, about how we can use it to break that cycle of stress, or even recognise when we are stressed. How else do you use sort of breath work in your coaching? So I know you, you've gone a little bit mm. further with this and done some sort of holotropic breath work types. Yeah. Stuff. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I mean that was that was um, a fascinating part of of this journey for me. So there is a, a psychiatrist by the name of Stanislav Grof, originally out of Czechoslovakia, and then studied um, in the U.S. Uh, and has lived in the U.S. for many years now. Um, I think he's he's eighty nine now. He's still around. He's eighty nine. So he was part of some of the early studies into LSD, 
Um, you know, and before LSD was uh, was made illegal, it was being used by um, in in psychiatry and psychology departments to explore whether it could be useful um, in treating depression and other psychological uh, or mental illnesses. So they were they were doing these legitimate um, scientific experiments to see the impact of of um, psychedelics. And then they became banned. And what um, Stanislav Grof became interested in was, can, could he find other ways of inducing um, altered states of consciousness similar to those experienced uh, when using LSD or other psychedelics? Could he, could he induce those by other means, uh, so legal, non-chemical means? And sort of by studying different indigenous practices, he developed this technique, which he then called holotropic breathwork and is also called transformational breathwork um, and, and goes under a couple of, couple of other names. And essentially, so this is um, something that's practiced more under supervision. You know, you'll, you'll find actually pretty much anywhere around the world, you'll find uh, practitioners of holotropic breathwork or transformational breathwork or shamanic breathwork and you are going in for up to an hour, an hour and a half, either one-on-one -on -one or in a group, and you're practicing what is a form of over-breathing almost. So you are starting to mess with the levels of uh, CO2 in your blood, oxygen in your blood, and some of the other chemicals that are going to your brain, and in that way you are inducing an altered state of consciousness. So um, it can look a little bit like hyperventilating, so you're breathing very forcefully, um, in a particular way in the session. You, he also combined it with being um, feeling quite safe, being in a dark room and playing uh, music that's quite evocative. So the music will actually build with the session, almost like a DJ would, would DJ a dance party. The music is going to build with the, the breathwork session. People come in, you'll start to breathe in this way and you'll start to actually move into an altered state of consciousness, which feels uh, people will have different levels of experience, but feels very similar to, to a psychedelic experience. So you might see uh, different visual effects. You might feel like you are having visions or you are um, uh, experiencing very strong emotional catharsis. So you might be crying the one moment and laughing the next moment. So I imagine this is going to sound really appealing to some people and like completely not to others. Um, I think what, what I've found is that, you know, we are, we can only achieve so much working on levels of behavior and conscious thought. So, you know, I can, I can shift my habits uh, by being quite intentional. Um, I can shift some of my beliefs just by reframing things or getting new information or, or talking things through. But, you know, by far the largest driver of our, of our many of our behaviors and our level of, of, happiness in the world, if you like, are coming from a subconscious level. And so this is a practice, along with many others, that is a way of almost accessing, um, releasing some of what might, you know, uh, stored up emotion that might be trapped and stripping away some of the layers of confusion to see where, uh, you know, healing might be possible, uh, might be needed or a shift in direction might be needed in life. So certainly that's been my experience. So healing process, a cathartic process, and then quite a, can be a source of quite deep insight. Um, I hope that all made sense. It's a difficult yeah. thing to describe without experiencing it. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds well, way out there, presumably not to be done without supervision. 
Yeah. So it's, and there are different ways. So, so often there'll be one trained facilitator. So there's quite, you know, there's this breath work um, globally is becoming quite organized. So there's now, you know, a global body, which recognizes certain instructors, which then, you know, which then do certain courses and only people with a certain level of, of uh, accreditation should be facilitating these sessions. Um, the original holotropic breathwork sessions were actually always done with each person having a minder next to them during the process. Um, and that is similar to other processes. You know, when one starts going below the, the level of conscious thought, you might unearth um, traumas that even you weren't aware of, which you might start to re-experience. And then you really do need um, a safe, capable, well-trained pair of hands who are there to help you through that. Now, that may be a very good thing. You may have needed to release that trauma, but uh, if you if you don't have the right support around you as that's happening, it, it could re-traumatize and make things worse again. Um, so, yeah, so for anybody listening, the, the thing to do is to Google any of those terms I mentioned earlier and find uh, somebody near you who's actually running running these sessions yeah and so did you find it help has helped you in your life doing this sort of thing yeah absolutely i mean i i still do it on a on a regular basis so it's a sort of a psychological detox um every few weeks or every month or so just to yeah i mean life is busy i know i know you also have a small child i have a small child you know there's work there's life getting on with things and even at the best of times, we we don't have the luxury of processing uh, what's happening to us fully uh, in the moment all the time. We're often having to rush on to the next thing. So things like this, I think, are a very useful way to to release some stored up uh, emotions or, or suppressed uh, feelings and, and kind of clear the cash a little bit, so to speak. Yeah, it's a bit like a pressing the reset button on your psyche. Mm. 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 Wow. Well, that sounds, it sounds very, it sounds very interesting. I'm not sure I'd be brave enough to try that actually, Richard. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I have started to suggest it to some of my clients and I find it such a fascinating space at the moment. You know, there, um, 10 years ago when I was doing the same work, a lot of these things were just way too left field, um, for, for those certainly in the, the corporate world or business leadership world, but, the guys that I work with now, you know, running businesses aged 35 to 45 or older, they're generally just fascinated by whatever they can explore that's going to give them a different perspective, uh, you know, on themselves, on life, on their business. Um, obviously, with, you know, within reason and, and, you know, safety always being taken into account and checking out the person that you're going to that's going to lead you through this process and, and, finding out others who've done the same thing but generally the openness is um yeah makes it really fun to to work in this space mm -hmm. and of course it's again it's that thing that there's nothing new under the sun is is there because you know a lot of these if you look at lots of ancient religious texts i was reading the other night you know they've got some of these sort of breath holding or the stopping yourself breathing or, or over breathing practices that, that got people into these these altered states almost like a, a religious ritual as well don't mm. they yeah so, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, it, shamanic breathwork is one of the, um, it's perhaps just it, not necessarily just a different name for the same thing, but it's uh, pretty close. So the, you know, the shamans out of South, South American 
kind of wisdom traditions have definitely got um, a lot of these practices um, uh, that they've been doing for, for hundreds of years. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, for me, it just illustrates how something that we've taken for granted, a very simple physiological act, actually can have so many different applications and can be so, so transformational. And that's really without putting any drugs into your body, mm. without you know, altering too much stuff. But even this, this thing that you can do in a meeting, you know, counting to four or five on your fingers can, can make a huge difference. So we, we're going to have to finish because we're running out of time, Richard, but if you could give, you know, busy professionals who are in high stress jobs, you know, working on the front line through the COVID pandemic, if you could give them three sort of top tips about how to use their, their breathing to sort of de-stress and keep calm, what what would they be? Mm. Yeah, I think um, sometimes the acronym we use is ART, so Awareness, Regulation, Transformation. And just starting with awareness is tip number one. As you know, as we did that little practice at the start today, um, and one can do it again wherever you're sitting now, just become aware of your breath. And that's not that language may seem esoteric. It's literally just pay attention to and notice what is happening with your breath. If you want, you can narrate it or commentate inside your own head. Okay, now I'm breathing in. Now I'm pausing. Now I'm breathing out. So become curious, become interested. Am I breathing in through my nose? Am I breathing in through my mouth? What's happening in my body? What sensations can I be aware of? So there's nothing... Uh, strange about that it's just directing your attention to that place and almost that as as i said earlier it's hard not for your breathing not to start to change straight away there and start to slow down become steadier so that would be the first thing um the second is this um practice of coherent breathing so slowing then consciously starting to count off on your fingers slowly to a count of around five or six so i'm inhaling to a count of five or six and then straight away, I'm exhaling to a count of five or six. I mean, as you say, that's so beautiful. We haven't, you don't need an app for this. You don't need uh, chemicals. You don't need uh, a special place to do it. So those, um, yeah, I, I, would, I would probably stop there, become aware, and then use a technique like that to regulate. And if there is a third tip, it would be to start to explore from there. So there are many of these different uh, patterns that you can follow, box breathing techniques, a four, seven, eight technique, um, you know, there, there are a bunch of them and you can experiment and try different things. And then, as you said, there are some really great books coming out at the moment. So there's, um, there's the James Nestor book, which is kind of a scientific travelogue. He, he dives into some of the new science and explores what it's revealing. Um, there is a book called Breathe by Ila Munger, who's actually a South African um, integral doctor, uh, which also explores probably in a more slightly more practical way how she's worked with her clients. Um, and they are, you know, from busy executives to you know, a lot of people working in the real world, how they can use uh, some of this work. Uh, Dan Brule. Just, uh, and I know I've jumped over into resources now, but uh, these are some of the better ones in my mind. So Dan Brule also has a book, I think also called Breath or Breathe. Forget exactly which one it is, but also a great resource. And, and he personally, uh, he's, a, he's a, an American 
Um, and uh, if you can get an opportunity to work with him, he travels around the world during normal times, um, offering breathwork uh, seminars and workshops. And he's a he's a fascinating man to learn from. Um, so yeah, those are those are some of my tips. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Richard. If people wanted to contact you or follow you, how how can they do that? So I, for my own uh, personal sanity, uh, mostly stay off social media, but uh, I do have a website. So it's richardjamison.co.za, which is the domain uh, here in South Africa. So it's .co.za, Richard Jamison, and that's Jamison with an I-E between the jam and the sun. And um, yeah, I, I live in the Western Cape in South Africa, but my clients are... Um, particularly between South Africa and the UK because of time zone and language and then some of them in the US as well. So I don't restrict my work to, to just South Africa. I work a lot online with people. Great. Brilliant. Mm. Well, if people want to contact you, yeah, go to the website, have a look at that. But thank you so much for being on the podcast today. It's been absolutely fascinating and uh, yeah, really helpful. I'm definitely going to try out some of those techniques. So thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you for having so, me. Bye-bye. Okay. Take care. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please share it with your friends and colleagues. Please subscribe to my You Are Not A Frog email list and subscribe to the podcast. And if you have enjoyed it, then please leave me a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. So keep well, everyone. You're doing a great job. You got this.